Well, my name is Howard Markell. I can introduce myself. And I, I guess I have 10 minutes, so let's let me watch that very carefully. These are wonderful talks, and I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Um, I'm a historian of medicine and public health, largely, even though there's all those titles, uh, which I guess is proof I can't keep a job or something. Um, but uh, as an Americanist, I'm delighted to be at a European uh, discussion. Uh, we don't always talk to one another, and I think in, in a way that's uh, uh, a crux of a lot of the problems, not just in world politics and economics, but certainly in global or public health, um, is that uh, you know the, the, the size of the globe has not shrunk physically, at least my uh, astronomer friends tell me that over the past century or two, but it has shrunk considerably. If you consider uh, all the various things of our technology, uh, a light world of technology that has shrunk the planet, how you can get from one place to the next in a matter of hours, um, the globalization issues, um, the fact that a diabetic in Ann Arbor, Michigan may be uh, injecting uh, this afternoon insulin made uh, at uh, Eli Lilly in Indianapolis, Indiana, but the syringe may be made in China and the alcohol swab that he or she uses to clean the site may be made in Pakistan. So there's, a, there's a, this whole uh, uh, globalization that has made this world smaller as well. Um, you know, it's interesting when people talk about history, uh, particularly in faculty meetings of the few that I do attend, uh, uh, the term historical is often an adjective for, uh, particularly my administrators use it, for things that have happened uh, a year ago or five years ago or, or sometimes the, the broad thinkers look back 10 years ago. Uh, and and uh, I think it's very important, I mean, the world that I inhabit, uh, and, and my colleague Dr. Fox uh, there that we inhabit, is that we think of it much broader, uh, not, not, not necessarily more broadly, but we think of time in more broader con concepts of uh, not just decades or centuries or, or, or epochs, but uh, the idea of globalized health and that uh, different countries would be talking very seriously about this is hardly new. And in fact, I was just reading before I got here today some minutes of what were called the International Sanitary Conventions, uh, which were held between 1850 and 1939. Uh, 1850 is very interesting because it's a few years after a very serious cholera pandemic, the second great one of the 19th century. Uh, and uh, while germ theory isn't really taking off as we understand it or the world of microbiology, the idea that germs could travel was not a new lesson to those in 1850. Uh, 1939 is pretty obvious. It's the eve of World War II, and that really put a blow in terms of discussions on a lot of issues uh, between different nations around the world, and particularly in Europe. Uh, and I think uh, the, the cause of global health was held back uh, by that, even though it was reinstituted and rediscussed in 1948 with the uh, ratification of the UN and the WHO as well. These international sanitary conventions, and I've written a little bit about it, uh, uh, as has uh, uh, Norman Howard Jones in the Bolton of the WHO, and I wrote about it in JAMA several years ago with a colleague named Alexander Stern are fascinating to read if you can get a hold of them from your library because all of the great arguments in the history of ideas of infectious diseases in public health are found therein. Uh, the idea of uh, people competing, uh, you know, is it germ theory versus miasma or is it sanitar sanitarianism 
like washing your hands and keeping areas clean versus uh, eradication of microbes. Nationalistic issues become very important, as you can imagine, then as well as now. And even the scientists, lo and behold, are sometimes guided by that nationalism. Uh, uh, I believe Jacques mentioned Koch and Pasteur, two of my favorite microbiologists, uh, fought like cats and dogs, and that, that's another story for another day on many things. But they often fought like cats and dogs, not just about scientific issues or issues of who came up with germ theory first, but the German-French thing that was going on uh, at that time as well. I notice some very important themes, though, in your talks and in, 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 in the uh, uh, the, the, the context of globalized health uh, in all of our, uh, I'm sure all of our studies over the past several years that I think are worth mentioning for purposes of discussion. Uh, one, as I just alluded to, is the great progress in technology, surveillance, and communication. The fact that we have so many better ways of scientifically testing for these microbes or even identification of these microbes from uh, the, the light microscopic version to the genomic version of how we identify these, how we can do good surveillance in all parts of the world that we weren't doing necessarily 10, let alone 15 years ago. That's certainly true in the world of influenza, uh, when not just uh, 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 European Union or other places in Europe have come, WHO have come up with ways of surveillance, but so has the United States CDC and building these surveillance centers around the world, you know, Indonesia, South America, and so on. Um, and that really does explain the map, I believe, that Bernard showed of all the recent uh, uh, upcropping of, of epidemic disease that we're, we're better at looking at it now. And the, the seek and you shall find uh, is, is certainly true in the world of medicine and public health. And of course, communication has, has shrunk the globe in so many ways uh, in terms of the value of the internet and rapid communication. So that I always talk to my uh, students or colleagues, when you think of, you know, in the history, the broader history of infectious diseases, you know, from uh, one of the great plague uh, pandemics in, in the Middle Ages to the point where Yersin actually identified uh, uh, the cause of bubonic plague, uh, Yersinia pestis, was about a thousand years, you know, a little less than that. But uh, HIV IV from the initial cases that were being reported, I should say, in San Francisco, LA, New York, and other places, to the point where uh, uh, Montagnier and Gallo, uh, I'll be very diplomatic about that, who did what, I don't know, but uh, announced uh, HIV was about four years. Uh, uh, the coronavirus being identified as the source of SARS uh, from the original cases at Hotel Metropole, I won't use the uh, Guangdong cases, but the, the, the Hong Kong cases, was about eight days. So we see the shrinkage, if you will, of time, uh, which also leads to a greater expectation of the public at large of why can't you do anything yesterday. And yesterday may have been a year in 1890. It may be uh, a few days in 2010. Um, the big problem, and I, I'm saying this to Bernard, this isn't, this isn't a European problem. This isn't a United States problem. This is a human problem. Uh, and it's a human problem that of, of, of the last line you said, uh, uh, these are global efforts, and yet each nation really can do it correctly or incorrectly. I'm, I'm paraphrasing you, but you get my gist. And I'd, I'd like to push us all to think about this, because to me, that's terribly frustrating. Uh, germs obviously don't respect boundary lines. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about this, not just we, but uh, people who study these things for, for, for decades or more. And uh, so that notion of how can you both have a globalized health department, to put it very simply,
simplistically, and still honor national rights, privileges, sovereignty, uh, laws, and so on, is a very difficult issue. And then when you throw politics into the mix, or philosophies, or even un at this late date, even understanding of infectious diseases and the spread of them, uh, from one place to another. And of course, this is all in the face uh, of new and re-emerging vectors, so that you've got new uh, elements of disease, such as SARS, or, or if avian flu did come to fruition, uh, not just among birds, but among human beings, uh, that would have been a newly emerging disease, or HIV. Also in the face of climate change and this globalization, and what uh, I believe you both refer to as events. 9-11 is not uh, insignificant in all this, and nor is it siloed away. Uh, one of the things that we found out, uh, if you've been in the influenza world over the last several years, is that there is a continuum of all of these technologies and ideas that if you're interested in smallpox and anthrax and bioterrorism, that is not mutually exclusive from, say, pandemic preparedness for influenza, and it's not necessarily uh, mutually exclusive from, say, some of the waterborne or foodborne diseases as well. <laughs> Um, one thing I have noticed is that there is this, and I'm only throwing this out, is this notion of freedom of movement, of democracy, of freeing, free, freedom to go to different places, which is a, a good thing, also has a very negative uh, impact in terms of microbial ecology. Uh, it allows microbes to travel from one place to another very easily. And I don't mean just the travel of people, but the travel of boats that carry ballast and bring in microbial flora from one port to another. Uh, if you're from the state of Michigan, you know them as zebra mussels, for example. It's a, uh, an import that we don't like in our Great Lakes. It came from, from other places as well. And that, that freedom of motion versus strict control, and I thought about that most cogently at a SARS conference about a, a year after SARS when there was uh, representatives of um, uh, uh, China, the, the Chinese government, the Singapore government, the Vietnam government, and the Canadian government, all talking about their uh, locale's re response to SARS. And if you really wanted to measure it on a graph, uh, the more democratic, the more open the nation, the more difficulties they had in terms of squashing and dialing that down. Singapore did the best. Uh, and that troubled me. And I'm bringing that up again to you because it troubles me still. Uh, and I don't, I don't have a good solution for that. And the other issue is uh, uh, as we, uh, and this is something that physicians and, and, and public health specialists and, and, and scientists have had uh, uh, an issue with for, for more than a century is that if you want people to buy into what you have to sell, you have to tell them you've got a really good product, that it's going to make their lives better, that it's worth investing money into it, that it's worth giving up rights and privileges or not to do those things. So we need confidence and buy-in and cooperation, but we also have to come up with uh, uh, solutions that demonstrate that, uh, that it's worth that money. Uh, and that's something that is harder today because of all of those technological advances, including the Internet and the way we all discuss things and the democratization of information, but also the democratization of uh, conspiracy theories. And when I first started doing uh, more modern, not just historical work, but more modern public health policy work, I was amazed at the uh, 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 cacophony, if you will, of, of conspiracy theories uh, of what caused what, who's unleashing what, and why. And these are all the kinds of things that we need to deal, deal with. It's hardly monolithic, as we saw, for example, why less than 10% of all Americans got immunized for H1N1 after 
influenza vaccine was available. But if you had done intention studies, and a lot of people did do intention studies back in June or late May of 2009, everybody was raising their hand, I want uh, a vaccination, and yet that's not how it panned out as well. Um, finally, uh, uh, just a few other issues. Uh, uh, the good news is there are creations of systems that we're not finding existed uh, 100 or 150 years ago. So that work is being done. But I fear one of the risks of that is it could be silo, uh, siloed again, is that if you have all of these various networks, Salmonella network, TB network, uh, and these people don't talk to one another. They don't even talk to one another in a hospital. Okay, and I, I just came from the hospital. The infectious guy, uh, disease guy who does Salmonella doesn't necessarily talk to the virology guy. So if it's that in a writ small situation, imagine what it's like writ large. And finally, the desktop, uh, you call them desktop, we call them tabletop uh, <laughs> exercises, I like, um, uh, which are wonderful. But you must also question the assumptions of these desktop or tabletop examinations, these exercises. So there's a great deal of controversy about a few smallpox uh, tabletops that were done in Washington right after 9-11 when the people designing it used uh, about a three times to ten times rate of infectivity of smallpox than what other experts said it would be. Well, that would change your uh, uh, game plan of how you'd respond to one case versus ten cases or, or a hundred cases. And I'll give you the most obvious example. It wasn't so-called desktop examination, but our predictions, if you were in the flu world, was that we were all thinking about avian flu from 1999 and well into 2005, 2006, that it would be H1N1, even though there are plenty of flu experts saying there's lots of other combinations that we should think about, and that it would come from Southeast Asia, most likely Indonesia or Vietnam or someplace like that. And there are all sorts of statecraft treaties that were being developed and deals being developed between, like, for example, the United States Department of State, Department of State in Indonesia and things like that of how you would get vaccine or, or, or virus to these places and so on. And yet what happened in 2009, it was, uh, uh, it was H1N1 and it didn't come from Southeast Asia. It came from Mexico and California largely. And so how we handled that, how we responded to that, uh, at least in the American context or the North American context, was a little bit different. We, you know, everyone got their pants back up very quickly, but they were expecting something else. And so even the, what I'm trying to suggest is that even the best laid plans go awry because these things, it doesn't mean what we shouldn't think about them or that we should just say, oh, woe is me, but they're not terribly predictable. And uh, uh, that is the problem of the social phenomenon of, of contagious or communicable diseases. So I'll close at that point and then uh, open it up to the discussion.